well, Chris indicated at the beginning that we have up to five hours available for preaching this evening. Um, I won't take that as a challenge. Um, although, of course, as Nick pointed out on the sheet, it says that Nick is preaching. So if he wants to try to rise to that challenge, um, I'd be happy for him to do so. But um, I don't know how long I will be, but it will be somewhere between zero and five hours. I, I can guarantee that. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and those uh, first four verses. No doubt you remember as a child, um, perhaps often being told to respect your elders. Um, And the thinking is that there is a, a dignity associated with old age and that that should be recognised and respected uh, by younger people. Now 1 Peter 5 begins with an exhortation to elders and if that meant that Peter was exhorting older people then you might well think that this is going to be a sermon for oldies and that if you don't consider yourself to be old you might as well leave now. However, the the Greek word translated here as elder is presbyteroi, and that's the word from which Presbyterian churches uh, take their name. Um, It was almost certainly a term that the early church took from the Jewish tradition, where leaders of of villages or, or synagogues were referred to as elders. So it doesn't refer to age as such, rather it suggests leadership on the basis of of maturity, of wisdom, of experience. And of course those things often go hand in hand with age, but not necessarily. Not, Not all old people are mature and experienced. Not all young people are immature and inexperienced. So there's not a direct correlation between these things and age. With that being so, you might then think that this is a sermon that's only relevant to Chris and Mike and Richard if he was here. Um, So, once again, you might as well leave. However, I find it very interesting that Peter included this exhortation to elders in a letter to local churches. If it was only relevant to elders, then he would surely have written directly to elders. That he includes uh, this exhortation in a general letter suggests that the churches need to to know and hear what he had to say to elders. So that being the case, I hope you will all stay and listen to to what we have to, what we can find in in these verses. In verses one to four, Peter's addressing the elders of the various churches that he was writing to. You you remember that Peter's letter was a circular uh, that was sent uh, around a number of churches in Asia Minor. Those verses begin with an introduction. They move on 
to an exhortation and they end with an encouragement. So firstly, the introduction, but believe it or not, that comes first, that's at the beginning. Uh, So there in verse 1, we see that Peter said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So in that verse we're told who he's exhorting, why he's exhorting them, and he's giving his credentials for exhorting them. Who is he exhorting? Well, he says, so I exhort the elders among you. That immediately tells us two things about elders, I think. Um, firstly, notice he says elders. It's, it's plural. And as we said, the letter was a, a circular addressed to several churches. Um, so you could say, well, it's plural because there's one elder in each church. But there are lots of churches, therefore Peter says elders. But you notice he says, I exhort the elders among you. And who's the you? Well, the you's the church. So it really is saying that there are elders, plural, in each church. And that's what we see uh, consistently in, in the New Testament. Uh, elder is used as a title for a a local church leader and it's always in the plural so uh, in Acts 14 23 uh, speaking of Paul and Barnabas when they were on their first missionary journey uh, we read and when they had appointed elders plural for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed Notice it was elders, plural, that was appointed. And they did so in every church. So you notice it's not just, uh, it wasn't just for the churches that fancied having elders. Or it wasn't just for the churches that Paul particularly needed elders. No, being led by elders was the norm. In in Acts 15, um, that that speaks of Paul and Barnabas Barnabas going to the, the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, And in verse 14, we read, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the the church and the apostles and the elders. Once again, plural. And they declared all that God had done with them. So the church at Jerusalem had elders. Same was true of the church at Ephesus. Uh, Acts 20, 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Once again, Ephesus had elders. Or in Titus 1 verse 5, uh, we looked at Titus uh, not so long ago, didn't we? This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul had left Titus in Crete in order, amongst other things, to appoint elders in each of the local churches. In all of those examples we've seen, uh, the word has been elders in the plural. So the the normal New Testament pattern and expectation was that local churches would be led by more than one elder. Second thing to note, uh, 
is that Peter spoke of elders as being among you. They're not external. They're not somehow separate. They, they didn't, if you like, keep an eye on things from afar and perhaps pay the occasional visit from time to time. Elders are part of the local church. Uh, they're, they're neither imposed uh, from without. They are within the local church. I mean, in Anglicanism, it's quite common, isn't it, for a, a new vicar to be parachuted in from who knows where and then a few years later be whisked away again. Well, that's not in keeping with what we, we see in the Bible. The biblical picture is that, of elders not being, if you like, semi-detached or peripatetic. They are as much a part of the local church as the rest of us. They are among you. That They're one of us. That They're neither above us nor a breed apart. They lead and they do that by being among us. They're not setting themselves over us. They're not set over us by, by anyone else. They are among us. So that's a bit about um, who he was exhorting. Why was he exhorting them? Well, you notice that verse, uh, the verse begins with, So I exhort. The NIV omits the word so, but it is in the Greek text. And it really means therefore. So it shows there's a connection between what Peter has just been saying and the exhortation he's going to give. What had Peter been saying? Well, at the end of chapter 4, you'll remember he'd been talking about fiery trials coming. He'd been talking about sharing in Christ's sufferings and being insulted for the name of Christ and judgment beginning at the household of God. He was warning the churches uh, of the, 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 the hardships and the difficulties they were to expect because of their allegiance to Christ. Now such, such hardship, such suffering, um, that, that, that would put tremendous strain on, on everyone within the local church. It could lead to all sorts of problems and tensions and difficulties. So it would be a challenging situation for the leaders of the church to face. They would need to be wise. They would need to be effective in their leadership under such circumstances. So Peter wanted the elders to know what their role was and to be sure to fulfil that role effectively for, for the good of the life and witness of the church. How could he exhort them? What were his credentials? Well, having explained who he was exhorting and why he was exhorting them, he went on to say that he was a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says three things there about himself in order to encourage them to heed his exhortation. Firstly, notice the title that he used of himself, the way in which he referred to himself. He said he was a fellow elder. If you remember, he, at the beginning of the letter, uh, then he'd referred to himself as an apostle of 
Jesus Christ. But here, he spoke as a fellow elder. He identified himself with the elders he was addressing by using the same title as theirs. If you like, he, he wasn't pulling apostolic rank here. Uh, he was exhorting them as a fellow elder. And I think in many ways he was setting a good example by showing elders the way in which they are to rule within the church. That they're not to govern with heavy-handed authority. They're not to pull rank, uh, as Peter could have pulled apostolic rank, but rather they are to exhort as fellow believers in the midst of the church. Secondly, notice what he claimed to himself. He said he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, if that was emphasising his apostleship, you might expect him to refer to himself as an eyewitness of the resurrection. But that's not what he's saying here. He's referring him to himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, previously, when he'd spoken of the sufferings of Christ, it was clear what the sufferings were that he had in mind. For example, in chapter 3, verse 18, he said, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. But the suffering there was obviously Jesus' death on the cross. But then, in all probability, Peter didn't actually see Jesus dying on the cross. If you remember, um, before Jesus went to the cross, Peter denied him three times. And then he ran away. He probably didn't see Jesus actually die on the cross. So in what sense was Peter claiming to be a witness of the sufferings of Christ? Well, 1 Peter 4, verse 13, uh, there he said, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. He was witness to the sufferings of Christ, both in that he had seen fellow believers suffering in the name of Christ and for his sake, and of course he was witness to it in that he himself had suffered. He had been sent to prison uh, for the sake of Christ. He had suffered in Christ's name. So Peter wasn't only uh, exhorting the elders as a fellow elder, but also as an elder who had seen suffering for Christ and experienced the sort of suffering that was coming their way. He was saying, I, as someone like you, I've experienced this and you've got to be ready to face it yourselves. Thirdly, notice what he expected for himself. He said that he was a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Um, we'll think more about that in, in verse 4. But for now, just notice the pattern he's, he's laying out here. He was experiencing suffering for Christ's sake. That was now. But he was confident of partaking in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's exactly the pattern we saw last Sunday, didn't we? So, 
he was one with the, the elders he was addressing not only in being a fellow elder but also in that he had experienced the sort of suffering for Christ's sake that they would have to face and also in that they shared the same expectation of future glory that, that he looked forward to. So that's by way of his introduction and it leads on to his exhortation to them. We see it there in verses 2 and 3. And it really consists of the what, how and why of eldership. Firstly, we see the what of eldership uh, there in verse 2, where he exhorts them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What are elders to do? They are to shepherd the flock of God. There's a bit of a play on words going on there. Uh, the Greek word translated as shepherd is poimeno. And the word translated as flock is poimnion. They both come from the same root. So a, a literal translation of that expression would be something like shepherd the sheep. Elders are to shepherd the sheep. Uh, in short, they are to shepherd God's sheep. Now, the NIV translates this as be shepherds of God's flock. And in saying that, it's used shepherd as a noun, whereas the ESV had shepherd as a verb. Now, the, the Greek word poimeno is a verb, so the ESV is, is correct in saying that Peter is exhorting the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Shepherding is what elders are to do. You find the same idea elsewhere in the New Testament. John 2, uh, sorry, John 21 verse 16. We read, He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Now, of course, that was when Jesus was reinstating Peter after his three denials. And at this point, Jesus said, tend my sheep. The NIV has take care of my sheep, but it is the Greek word poimeno. So Jesus was telling Peter to shepherd my sheep. No, no wonder Peter referred to himself as a fellow elder. Jesus had told him to do what elders are to do. Have another example in, in Acts 20, verse 28 where we read, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul was saying farewell to the Ephesian elders and he told them to care for the church of God. Once again, the Greek word is poimeno. So the text really says that Paul was telling the elders to shepherd the church of God. So shepherding is what elders are to do. Elders is what they are. Shepherding is what they do. You could say, uh, to, to, to adapt a, a common expression, elder is the name, shepherding is the game. There's only one example in the whole of the New Testament of the noun shepherd being used of church leaders. 
Uh, it's the Greek word poemon, and it occurs on the one occasion in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. Well-known passage. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, uh, etc. The NIV has pastors instead of shepherds. Um, and in doing that, it's following the King James Version, which for some strange reason that I can't get my, ha my head round, uh, it chose uh, to translate poemon with the Latin word pastor instead of the perfectly good English word shepherd. And even the King James Version only translates, uh, uh, only translates the noun poemon or the verb poemeno uh, uh, as pastor on this one occasion. <laughs> so completely inconsistent, don't know, don't know why. But uh, it, nowhere else in the authorised version is it, uh, is it pastor. Regardless of whether you prefer to use Latin or English terminology, um, in the context of Ephesians 4, the word translated as shepherds or pastors, according to your preference, doesn't seem to denote a particular distinct office. You notice that the ESV, having referred to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelist then says the shepherds and teachers rather than the shepherds and the teachers. So it's suggesting that, that shepherding and teaching belong together in one office rather than shepherds or pastors and teachers being two separate offices. Now the NIV omits all of those definite articles uh, but it still highlights uh, exactly the same exactly the same point by saying it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. You see being a pastor and teacher is one role just as being an apostle is one role, being a prophet is one role or being an evangelist is one role. Now, if pastors and teachers were being viewed as two separate roles then it would have said it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and some to be teachers. So being a pastor and teacher is one role uh, and is surely what is elsewhere in the New Testament referred to as an elder. But you see somewhere in the murky mists of, of church history this word pastor came to be loaded with a meaning in Christian thinking that's way beyond what's suggested by biblical usage. You know, as we've seen, the, the biblical pattern is for a plurality of men called elders and shepherding or pastoring is what they do. And you might well then ask, why do most evangelical churches have uh, one particular person with the title pastor who is somehow different from or more prominent than the other elders. Or if they haven't got one, they usually want one. Why is that the case? It can only be on the basis of, of tradition. At some point that came into church thinking and it's now the established norm. Um, in some churches that one special man is referred to as the minister uh, but whatever you call him it's hard to see a biblical basis for such a position 
Notice who the elders are to shepherd. Peter exhorts uh, them to shepherd the flock of God or, or the sheep of God. We must never forget that it is God's flock. It's his church. Uh, in church night this week, I don't know what the, uh, the Elkie group touched on when you started on 1 Corinthians, but certainly in Otley, the, the, the handful of us that were there, one of the things that we were thinking about was the fact that it is God's church. It doesn't belong to any one person, any group of people, any organisation. The church is God's flock. It belongs to him. And yet how often do you hear a church being referred to as so-and-so's church, where so-and-so is the pastor? It doesn't belong to him or anyone else. It's God's flock. So elders don't own it. They serve the church by shepherding it. And that means caring, caring for it. It means tending to all its needs. It means feeding it. It means leading it. Well, that's the what of eldership. Let's next move on to see the how of eldership. Peter continues in verse 2 by saying, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The NIV has serving as overseers. And I think both uh, translations have, have translated that a bit clumsily. Uh, the, the Greek word here is episcopio, which is a, a compound of epi and scopio. Uh, scopio is a verb that stems from the noun scopos, which means watch. Now that's not a, um, a clockwork or a digital device for measuring the time. Uh, it's rather a, a lookout or an observer. So the verb scopio involves looking, it involves watching, it involves observing. So the how of eldership involves those things in some way. And that prefix epi gives the sense in which elders are to, to look or to watch. Now scopos forms the basis of various English words. You think of microscope or telescope and you can see you've got scopos with a with different prefixes micro means small so a microscope is for observing very small things uh, tele means far so a telescope is for observing things from a distance now elders are neither to look in a way uh, that requires a microscope neither are they to look in a way that requires a telescope that they're not to scrutinize every tiny detail nor are they to look from far away in a distant and detached manner uh, we've already seen haven't we that elders are to be among you you don't need a telescope for someone who's you're rubbing shoulders with but the prefix that Peter used to give the sense in which elders are to look or watch is epi. And that means over. So episcopio 
is best translated as overlooking or overseeing. And the text is saying, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, overlooking or overseeing. The idea is that elders should look from above in the sense that they have an overview of the whole flock. If you like, they, they take a bird's eye view, uh, that they take in the whole picture. So elders are being exhorted to shepherd God's flock by overseeing the flock as a whole. It brought to my mind the, the Christmas carol, while shepherds watch their flocks by night. How are shepherds able to care for their sheep? Well, it's by watching over the flock. They watch over the flock. What do they look out for when they're, they're watching over the flock? Well, it seems to me that there are two basic aspects to it. Firstly, uh, they're, they're looking out for the well-being of individual sheep. Are any sick? Are any malnourished? Are any injured? If so, they give them the care that they need by addressing those needs. Secondly, they look out for danger. Are, are wolves threatening to attack the flock? If so, they take the necessary action to protect the flock from harm. Now, it's worth noting um, that the noun episkopos is also used of church leaders in the New Testament. Um, properly translated as, as overseer, so it refers to one who oversees. And as we've seen, that's what the elders do in order to shepherd the flock. The word episcopos, uh, that, that was translated as bishop in the King James Version, and that's where Anglicans get their idea of bishops from. Uh, and that's why it's called an, an episcopal church. Now, in their scheme of things, a bishop is above local church leaders and has oversight over several churches. But I think from what we've been seeing, that that just doesn't fit with the biblical picture at all, does it? New Testament usage makes it clear that the noun uh, overseer is used as an alternative to the term elder. We've already looked at Titus chapter 1, 5 to 7, and there Paul told Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And he went on then to outline the qualities required of elders by saying, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And then he followed that by saying, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach and so on. So, having spoken of elders, he switched to speaking of elders as overseers and showed that exactly the same requirements uh, applied. It's clear that an overseer isn't different from an elder, it's just a different term for the same role, the same, the same office. Um, get another example if you look at Acts 20, 17 to 18. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, uh, and Paul was there addressing elders. And in the course of that address, we read in verse 28, 
He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. See, overseers do what elders do. It's the same it's the same thing. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Again, it's clear, isn't it, that in Paul's mind, elders and overseers and overseers are elders. And what they do is care for the sheep or shepherd the church of God. So piecing it all together, each local church is to have a plurality of elders or overseers, if you want, who shepherd the local church by overseeing it. Well, thirdly, we see the why uh, of eldership. In the Christian life, it's not just what you do. Neither is it just how you do it. They're both important, but probably most important of all is why you do it. God looks on the heart. He expects the motive to be right. And that's as true of eldership as uh, any other aspect of the Christian life. So Peter continued in verses 2 and 3 by saying, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And there, by means of a, a series of three not-but comparisons, he's addressing the why of eldership and exhorting elders to have the right motives. So the first comparison we see there is not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Elders are not to oversee the flock because they've been pressurised into it. They're not to do it because they've been guilt-tripped into doing it. They are to do so willingly. It's to be something that they have a personal desire to do. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's it's something that is to be desired. It's not something you're to do because you feel you ought to do it. There is to be that, that personal desire to serve the Lord in that way. Elders aren't to oversee the flock reluctantly or grudgingly, but willingly. Um, Peter makes it clear that that's the attitude that God is looking for. Because he, he adds, as God would have you. It's to be willing because God wants it to be willing. Um, it's a bit reminiscent of, um, of what Peter said about giving in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 7. You remember he said there, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. That, that's willingly, isn't it? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, just as the Lord loves a cheerful giver... The Lord loves a cheerful elder. Smile. <laughs> but you see the point. It's not something that is reluctant or grudging. It's something that is done willingly and gladly. He wants willing elders. 
The second uh, comparison is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Frank Zappa once issued a, an album entitled We're Only In It For The Money. Put bluntly, Peter is here saying that elders are not to be in it for the money. Just as they're not to be motivated by compulsion, neither are they to be motiva motivated by greed. Uh, Paul says much the same in Timothy 1 verse 7, for an overseer as God's shepherd must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered tem or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Rather than being motivated by a calculating attitude that's geared towards making money, elders are to oversee the flock eagerly. And that really goes beyond willingly, doesn't it? That, that suggests not just a willingness, but a real zeal, a real enthusiasm. Third contrast is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So elders are not to be motivated by a desire to wield power. The idea is not of, of not forcefully controlling. Who are they to not forcefully control? Well, there's an unusual Greek word being used here. It's kleron, and it means something like those allotted. The, uh, the ESV translates it as those in your charge. The NIV is perhaps a bit better in saying those entrusted to you. And that's clearly referring to the flock of God they were exhorted to shepherd uh, back in verse 2. Elders have had no right to, to dominate the flock because it doesn't belong to them. It's God's flock. Rather, they are to be examples to the flock. Again, it comes back to the among you bit, doesn't it? You, you can't be an example if you're removed, if you're separate, to, to be an example, uh, an elder needs to be uh, among the flock. So not to lead by coercion, but by uh, example. So elders are not to be motivated by compulsion, not to be motivated by greed or hunger for power or prestige. Rather, they are to over the, oversee the church willingly, eagerly, and as role models. So let's uh, come to a conclusion by looking at the encouragement. You might well be thinking, well, if the motive for, for being an elder in the local church is not duty, and it's not greed, and it's not power, because they're pretty powerful motivators in the world, aren't they? That they're the things that people, you know, makes people strive and work and so on. If that's not the motive for being uh, an elder, what, what encouragement is there for elders to eagerly shepherd the church? Well, back in verse 1, you remember Peter laid out that pattern of suffering now and hope for future glory. And now he continues in verse 4 by saying, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, the chief shepherd, of course, is Jesus. I'm sure Peter's referring to him as the chief shepherd here to, to reinforce the fact that both he and, and all elders are under Christ. Uh, as such, 
they serve his church uh, on Christ's behalf. Peter expects him to appear. And that's obviously referring to Jesus' return. He's going to come again. So the encouragement for elders, as for every believer, is linked to the fact that Jesus will come again. Why is knowing that Jesus is coming again an encouragement? Well, Peter says that when he does, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, most commentators take that to be a special reward that elders will receive in glory. But it seems to me that that's reading much more into the text than it actually says. To use the big words, it's eisegesis rather than exegesis. Surely the unfading crown of glory is what every believer looks forward to when Christ returns. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.8 we read, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And you think, ah, Paul's saying that's for him. But in case you get the wrong impression, uh, he goes on to make it quite clear, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It's not just for Paul. It's not just for elders. It's for every believer when Christ returns. In James 1 verse 12, we read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, not just elders, but those who love him. Now surely the, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, uh, an unfading crown of glory, well, they're all the same thing. They all refer to what Peter spoke of right back at the beginning of his letter as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Doesn't it lift your spirits just hearing those words? It's a fantastic portion of uh, right at the outset of, of 1 Peter. It's a long time ago when we thought about it. It's good to, to remember them again, isn't it? So the encouragement for elders in shepherding the flock is exactly the same as the encouragement for every believer, for every believer who is living the Christian life and serving the Lord. It's just a case of how you serve him. Elders are serving in a particular way. The rest of us, hopefully we're serving the Lord too. We might not be elders, but if we are serving the Lord, if we trust in Christ, if we love his appearing, then this is what we're looking forward to. That's our encouragement to keep on doing what we're doing in the Lord's name and for the Lord's sake. So what greater encouragement can there be than knowing that Jesus will return and will be glorified uh, and will receive our eternal inheritance? Well, we can all take that encouragement from the passage, can't we? Remember that we are the flock of God. As such, we are 
under the care of elders and ultimately under the care of Jesus as the chief shepherd. And let's be sure to encourage one another with the sure hope of his return and the knowledge that when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory.